Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is your host, Mark Gustinelli, and we've got a good one for you today. But before we get to that, uh, the podcast is brought to you, as always, by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com, a leader in the staffing world of helping you find your engineering, manufacturing, and IT professionals. Um, among many other things. But uh, today's guest is Charles Manning. Uh, Charles has had a profound effect on my life. Uh, you'll have to get used to his Australian accent uh, throughout the podcast as um, I had the pleasure of living with Charles uh, for about a year out of my year and a half long stay uh, down under in 2008, 2009. Um, he's a management consultant with a ton of experience working with big companies, but certainly a man who gives back and is really hell-bent on leaving an impactful um, making an impact on his community and leaving behind a legacy um, that people would cherish and remember. And uh, we had an awesome conversation that I think really could resonate with people at any stage of their life or career. So uh, check it out. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Thanks. Mr. Charles Manning, without further ado, welcome to Beers and Careers, my man. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. Really good to be out of it. Have this conversation from the other side of the planet. Other side of the planet. Amen. So um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Charles, but just the way Charles and I met each other were, was um, I had the fortunate opportunity to uh, play lacrosse down under after uh, I graduated from college in 2008. And um, what was what was supposed to be a seven month trip turned into an 18 month trip for me and uh, and my family um, eventually. And Charles was the was the. Uh, Charles and his wife Janice were the house that mentored and, and hosted me when I first arrived. So uh, I'm forever in debt to this man, and uh, we'll, I will go back to Australia, I, I hope, so many more times if I'm blessed in my life. And uh, thanks so much, man, for coming on. And um, I'm excited for you to share your story and, and what you do in your sector of the world with, with uh, the Beers and Careers family. Thanks, Mark. Well, for me, it's... Uh... 9.30 in the morning, so I'm having coffee. I hope that's okay. That's okay. I'm, I don't see you. You know what? It's your, a Wednesday. I'm drinking water. Well done. Yeah, decided to do dry February as well. So they have a couple of campaigns here where they get people to have dry months to raise money for charities. Um, but Janice decided she wanted to do dry February, and I thought shortest month of the year if I'm going to do one. It's going to be February. <laughs> Yeah, man. And the good news is it ends this weekend. It, so. it does. It does. You're, you're, well, for you, you're three days away. Three days away. Yeah, yeah it's Thursday morning here. It's a beautiful morning, probably about 25 degrees here in Adelaide and South Australia this morning. That's Celsius. Yes. So uh, I got up at six this morning, met some other um, local businessmen, and we go for a walk along the beach on Thursdays and then have a swim in the ocean and get coffee before we start the day. And on Saturday mornings and Tuesday mornings, a lot of those same men do a boot camp and have a swim. Mm. A great start. So in the middle of our vineyard, Mark, which you've been to, yes. so it's uh, harvest season. So all the harvesters are out there at the moment. So everyone's picking grapes and crushing wine. We were up at a friend's winery in the Barossa yesterday, and we were watching them crush the 2021 Shiraz, as we picked up some of our 2018 Shiraz, which you've tried before, but I'm looking out the window here and beautiful vineyard and gum trees and gorgeous day. Yeah. It's, 
It's it is truly a uh, is truly the other side of the world and a different planet. And I feel like when you're there, um, and I'm sure you feel it uh, feel it when you're you've visited here many times. It's just it's a surreal experience. And I think people should know if you're not into wine, Charles lives in probably you know the one of the most famous regions for wine in in all of the world, really, but certainly in Australia. Yep, lucky to do it as well. It's a really beautiful Mediterranean climate and a great place to play lacrosse and, and have a business and a family and, and live life, really. And, you know, Mark, we're in the middle of a COVID, and you and I have spoken before about the difference in our cities with COVID. And mm-hmm. Australia has been so fortunate. We really haven't had a wave. We've had definite outbreaks and we've been in lockdowns at different times, but um, our city, Adelaide, which is over a million people, it's been 72 days since we've had a community transmission. Mm. Um, and the country's really only got a handful of cases. And, yeah, life's uh, quite normal here compared to the rest of the world. But, yeah, uh, interesting times. It is. It is. And I hope we're not too far behind you. Um, and before we get into maybe the day-to-day of how Charles Manning uh, monetizes his skill set and what you view as your career. I, I always ask guests a few rapid fire questions just so they can get to know and get a flair for who you are. So, without further ado, what is Charles Manning's favorite drink, cocktail, libation, whatever okay. it is? Uh, Mark, you know, I, I make home brew, so I definitely love beer, but we've got Cab Sav out there, so I, I'm a wine man, but I love uh, single malt whiskey on the rocks. I've actually got a barrel at a distillery up the hill here with a hundred liters in it, which is about to go in a bottle this year. So I might drink a little bit more whiskey than I did last year. I love it. I love it. I love how there's no favorite because I find myself in a similar situation. It depends on the mood. Depends yeah. on the mood. I still have Charles on my office at home. You know, Woodville, Port Adelaide Lacrosse Club, Centenary Port. I do. I do right I do here. And I look, I look at it often and smile. I hope you drank it, Mark, and just filled it up with water or something. No, we, no, we drank it at your house the last time I was oh, there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it was oh, late. Bring, it was very late. <laughs> bring it back and I'll refill it for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite curse word, Charles? Mark, um, as a boy with Italian ancestry, you're going to appreciate this. Uh, our family's Irish, Italian. And, but I never learned to speak Italian. My mum was born in Australia. We didn't really pass it on. So I've always used these two words, even in front of my kids. And it's like, ah, manaya, which, you know, and the other one was, ah, fanculo. And I'd say it because I thought the kids won't know I'm swearing. But, you know, when I had to think about a favourite curse word, I actually had to go and look up the translations for those words. And I thought, they're really bad words. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know you know the definition of them? I don't. Uh, cooler means go fuck yourself. Sorry if he's not meant to swear on this, but that's alright. Uh, oh, you can definitely and, swear. And, it's cool. And and means damn hell, which in yeah. uh, in Italian is quite bad. But I think saying damn for hell is not that bad. But it's interesting that I didn't even know what they meant. That's so good. That's so good. That's you know you know what I'm happy about? I never upset you when I was living there enough that I never heard you say it. So I think that's a good that's a good signal. Um 
Lastly, uh, not lastly, because there's definitely another one I want to ask you. Do you? Have, I know you like quotes from our time together. Do you have a favorite quote or one yeah. or one right now that's speaking to you? Is probably a better way to ask someone like you that question. Oh, look, my favorite one, and I've got it on the bottom of my email block. It just says you learn more about a person in a day, in hours worth of play, than you do in a day's worth of conversation. Just seeing how people treat each other, and that's why. In the recruiting industries, you know, when you're doing um, group interviews, they get people to do these team building challenges to see how people operate in a team, and that's how you learn about people. But for leaders, one of the things I love to say to leaders is what you tolerate, you teach. Yes. Yes. And so a lot of the time they'll turn a blind eye to bad behavior. Yes. So that kind of sets the one. It's okay to do that thing. So. Yeah. I like that. I don't know. I don't know if it was Patrick Lencioni that said it, but it was a time when I was reading his books, and that's why I'm getting across in my mind. But he said uh, a bit a culture a culture is defined by the worst behavior that you tolerate. There you go. That's really cool. You know, and I was like, man, that I get that now. It's like that's why you got to sweat some of the small details when it comes to that. Yeah, when I'm working with leadership teams, I'll often say to them, you get the culture you deserve. Mm. I said, what you tolerate, you teach. So you're going to get what you deserve, which is very similar to Patrick's. Yeah. Patrick Lynch. That's interesting. Well, look, that's a great segue. Why don't you, I mean, I, I so living with you, um, I, I was there just for the audience. I was there in 08 to 09. Uh, 18 months over the course of that time. And I just went back for 23 days in 2018 because my employer kicks ass and understands uh, relationships that I built abroad and they were cool with it. And um, I went back for a good mate's wedding and got to spend uh, another seven or eight days at Charles's new house, which was different. But why don't we tell people kind of how you, uh, the reason I just told that anecdote was living with you then, as well as when I went back to visit you, I really learned an appreciation for a different way how Australians, and specifically you and your group of friends, view work and work-life balance and, and what you are in the community. But if you might share with us your views on that, but also kind of what you do day-to-day, because you've already referenced a few times working with leadership groups and CEOs, and I think it's uh, really cool work. Thanks, Mark. Just quickly on that sense of work-life balance, since you know, moving into a wine region particularly, I started using the word rather than balance around having a blended life. Mm. That word balance kind of suggests everything's got to be in equilibrium. Yes. And and you know, at different times in your life, some things are going to take more attention than others. You're, you're a, a father of a young family. So right now, that father role becomes a much more significant role that needs more attention than the role you played as a lacrosse player. Yes. Right? Whereas one point in time, your lacrosse role was just about everything. Yeah. And so I'll say to people, it's about having the perfect blend. And winemakers, even when they sell you a straight Shiraz or a Cabernet or a Chardonnay or something, they'll quite often have other varietals in there to get the right flavour. And in Australia, they only have to declare they put that varietal into the bottle if it's more than 2%. Mm. of what's in the bottle. So they'll often put a, a little bit of another grape varietal in to get that blend right. But when you go and buy true blends in Australia, you'll see them call a, a wine a GSM, and, mm-hmm. and that's actually the three varietals, Grenache, 
Shiraz Mavirdre. And, uh, yeah, so a blend of life. I like that. So get the blend right. Yeah. Um, but in terms of um, my work, well, actually, my early career, I fell into it because, like you, I was a lacrosse tragic. And for the first 15 years of, uh, well, I started playing lacrosse when I was 10. Mm-hmm. And for the next 20 years of my life, um, my work career was around supporting my lacrosse habit. Mm. And I fell into a job working for Army as a civilian. And uh, the irony of that was both of my brothers, I'm one of five kids, and I had, um, there was four boys in the family. Two of my brothers were going to go and join the military and wanted to be officers in the military. And neither of them actually um, got where they wanted to get to with that. And I was the only one that said, there's no way I'm going to go and work in the military. And I spent 10 years in the Army officer's position as a civilian, as an asset manager. I got to run the Woodville Across Club from my desk and mm-hmm. gave me a lot of freedoms around sport. Um, but I'd started coaching lacrosse um, when I was 15 years old. Mm. I coached our club under 10s, and I, I've coached lacrosse every year since. And it was in my mid-20s to late-20s that the Army Colonel that was my boss sent me on a career and life planning course. And he just did it for the young guys in the office because he knew a few of us were coasting and it was the first time I'd realised I, I didn't have a vocation, I just had a job. Mm. The guy said you could have any job in the world, any job what would it be? And it was easy professional lacrosse coach mm. but the only place you really could earn a living doing that was being a in the States, being a college coach um, or maybe in the UK where they were starting to pay coaches um, but then I thought well what is it I love about coaching? And I realised my purpose, and I didn't work this out until I was in my 30s, um, with the gifts and skills I was given by life, was to help people in their teams be the best they can be. Mm. And I loved lacrosse, and so therefore I loved helping people and teams associated with lacrosse be the best they could be. Um, but then I realised to earn that money, I could do it in the corporate world. So I went back and did a, a Master's in um, Behavioural Science. And, uh, and I'd already I'd spent four years with our Commonwealth Department of Finance teaching managers about strategic planning and um, performance measurement and evaluation. But I realised you could have the best strategy in the world, but if um, the people weren't right, the plan would always fail. And that was part of going back to uni and switching career. So from about 29 or 30, I uh, switched over to working in a private sector company for a year. And uh, for the last 25 years now, we've been running Face the World. And we tell our clients we do two things. We facilitate thinking around business and strategy. And I really see that's a way of getting an entry point to work with our clients because most clients are happy to pay someone to come in and help their people to get clarity of their purpose and priorities. Um, But the second thing we do is grow high-performance people and teams. Mm -hmm. So the bulk of our work in that space is actually uh, doing one-on-one executive coaching, running leadership training. But the big chunk really is working with teams. And I've talked to people in Australia about in the top right-hand corner of your windscreen for most cars here, I'm not sure if you have that same sticker, and it tells you when to get your car serviced. And most people um, are pretty diligent around that, give or take a few hundred miles or 
you know, a couple of weeks and they get their car serviced. And when they go to pick it up, they're not even thinking about what did the guy do to my car today? Their mm. biggest concern is how much is it going to cost? And then they pay the, you know, work out which credit card and pay the bill. But, you know, one of the things I say to people is, you know, machines are quite predictable, but we still go and do that because we know it's smart preventative maintenance. But humans are less predictable than a machine, of course, and then you put a group of humans together and it is so unpredictable. And our work with teams, a lot of it is what I call the preventative maintenance work where leaders get us to come in three or four times a year with their team take them off of the tools, so so to speak, and have that thought about are we heading in the right direction and are we behaving appropriately? Or do we treat each other right so that we can be this well-oiled machine that gets great results? Mm. We also get called in to do breakdown maintenance too. But sometimes you've got to say to a client, you can spend as much money as you like on people like me, but you can't fix everything you actually need to take that person out and get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And you need to move the from here to here. That's a tough call sometimes, but we don't do that too often. Right. But in terms of, you know, when I talk about that purpose, I do a lot of work in our community pro bono. Mm. We run a regional leadership program that runs for six months. And tomorrow we have this current cohort of 20 people graduating from this six-month program, and then we'll start advertising for the next one. We do all that free of charge to grow a pipeline of leaders in our community for both community organisations and business for small to medium businesses that couldn't afford people to send people to that stuff. Right. And we do it because I love it. And mm. I'm still involved across because I love it. And if I won lotto tomorrow and didn't have to earn an income, you know, I'd definitely just do more and more of that for free. So in terms of that purposing, and um, everyone talks about retirement here. I have no intention of retiring because mm. I love my work. Yeah. And yeah. No, that's, an, that's an awesome – I think that – first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. That's a phenomenal overview of what you do. I, I think what I got to experience it firsthand when um, – in the first season I was there, I was there for two seasons. The first season I was there, there was quite a large class of Americans coaching, uh, the teams all over, uh, South Australia in the different, in the different, uh, towns. And I got to see you in action firsthand, like facilitating a meeting and mining for conflict. And, um, and then we did a ropes course and, uh, I was always, I was super impressed and I was, it was the first time I was like, what a cool job that is. Like, this is like, I, and I knew you weren't, it wasn't a job for you at the time because that was your pro bono work, but I was like, what a cool skill set and a, and a fun way to work, so to speak. So I was like super impressed by that. But then the other thing I was impressed by was like, you set your own schedule. You worked because you wanted to work. And I mean, you kind of alluded to it when you talked about you get together with a group of guys Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, which I had the, uh, awesome opportunity to join you last time but i was gonna ask you what's the weirdest thing about your morning routine but i think i don't think that's weird but i think it's an interesting thing to share like how you got how you get a group of guys together and you just do some uh a little bit of exercise a little bit of mental health and some bonding to start your day three times a week is pretty cool yeah occasionally because of traveling for work and whatever i'll miss a few of those and you know sometimes you're not conscious of your 
um, mental health and you don't realise you're starting to drop a few notches and feeling a little bit down until I actually go and train and afterwards feel so great. Yeah. And uh, I've got, you, you know, my beautiful wife, Janice, she's really good at keeping me on track with that and she runs my diary for me with my clients. And so she actually writes it into my diary and the other people that work for us know that it's got to be really important for me to have to miss those chunks because they're so important for my mental health and well-being. And I think that whole running your own schedule, I and mean, there's been a few times we work for big companies over the year, years, people that um, your um, audience will know, like Motorola, I used to run their leadership training in Southeast Asia and big oil and gas companies and energy companies. And we had um, Carlton United Brewing that owned the rights to the Fosters Group. Everyone's probably heard of Fosters. And they're just for your audience, most Australians. Yeah, no one drinks Fosters. But Carlton Draft, people drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. And there's so many better cheers than Carlton Draft too, but we won't go there. But, you know, I got offered a job um, from them to go move to Melbourne and be part of their uh, organisational development group. And it was a, you know, six-figure salary. It was probably a good 60% pay rise for me to take this. And it would have been one of those opportunities where there's more pathway opportunities. But I think in life, it's really important to remember that, you know, what life's all about. And I could have done that, but I would have sold my soul. Whereas, you know, working for myself, I I don't earn that amount of money, but I I could if I actually did the hours that I would have had to do for Carlton United Brewing. And uh, it's just about having that blend right again. And mm. there's certain times of the year that I just go crazy, you know, 10-hour days and maybe a six-hour, uh, six-day week every now and then or something like that. Um, but most of the week, you know, it's a really – we take eight weeks leave a year, Mark. You know that. I do. And I do. In fact, there's two things the audience should know. One, translating for Charles, his diary is his calendar for us Americans. And then the second thing is when Charles and I were organizing this, I sent him an email, I think in early January and the out of office said, I will get back to you in early February. And it was like, it was just like such a good reminder of like, Oh man, that is a different world. That is a different world. Yeah. But, but it, I, um, but an incredibly healthy one and it works. Everyone does it. A lot of people buy yeah. in. A lot of people buy, I mean, they don't buy well, in. Our, our, national, our national holiday is, uh, January 26th is Australia Day, and people talk about basically from about um, six or seven days before Christmas to January 26th, forget it. Most workplaces are on skeleton staff, and mm-hmm. it's summer as well. And you got, yeah, so you have the Christmas holidays, the New Year holidays, and Australia Day all in there. And so people take a lot of their annual leave. So the average worker gets four weeks annual leave. So they'll quite often take that. And, Businesses just wind back over that month. So I thought, well, why would I bother working? So I'll just take six weeks off instead. Right, and do yeah. some fishing and hang out. It's also it's also super Take hot, and beautiful time of year. Yeah, it's that's uh, now that's that's really cool. Do you do you think um, I'd be interested in your perspective because the other thing that people don't know, but uh, Charles is instrumental in in uh, facilitating Americans. Um, to come and play lacrosse in not only the club that Charles is a member of and um, 
just became a lifetime member of, um, but uh, but also other clubs. Like you're doing it for the greater good. Like I'm interested in like your view on uh, maybe what Americans get right about careers from your perspective, and and maybe some obvious areas where you know you you challenge our way of thinking to put it nicely. It's interesting, Mark. I was only talking to my 26 year old daughter this week, and um, she actually came um, for a drive with me yesterday, and um, we were chatting about the difference between our cultures. And she was trying to explain it to friends that have never been to the states, and mm. she's lucky enough to have come a few times, and we've been plenty. And a lot of people here feel our cultures are very much the same, but there's a core. She's put it down to a core values difference. And the American dream is about being able to, a lot of people perceive the American dream is about anyone can make it rich. You know, if you're prepared to work hard and take a risk, you can get rich. But it's all about individuals succeeding. Mm. And in Australia, we've got this negative culture here, they call it. You might have heard of the phrase before, but culturally we suffer from the tall poppy syndrome. And what used to happen in a field of poppies if one poppy grew taller than the, the rest, they wanted the field to be even, they'd go and cut that poppy off because uh-huh. it stood too tall above the rest. Mm. So you wanted an even playing field. In Australia, when people get really successful, uh, other Australians want to take them down. Mm. and go, you know, what are you doing, mate? What's your problem? Yes. Why can't you be like the rest of us? So people quite often aren't as driven by that. Um, desire to actually be better than their neighbour or get really rich, then I think there's a real value here around com- community. And Eva said she didn't see that community in the States. And I said, well, I have seen it. Yeah. And lots of the smaller towns out of the big cities and stuff, um, even in some of the inner cities, you can see that cultural care, but there's a real care here around, you know, having that lifestyle but also being aware of the people around you and looking out for the people around you. So I think that's a huge difference. And, you know, there isn't that drive to actually become a CEO or um, own a company or be richer than your neighbour. Everyone just wants to be comfortable. Yes, yes. And, yeah, and that's a – I think that's that's pretty well said. I think I've – what I've learned – is that as I've gotten older as an American, it's been, um, I've noticed that people are getting better at being competitive with each other, but not being upset that the next guy is richer than him. Whereas when I was in my twenties, it was wicked competitive. You know, you know what I mean? Like, and I feel yeah. like I'm probably lucky in the community I am or on that growth pattern, but I, I, my, my vantage point is, and I, maybe this was just me living in Australia, but you have all these problems and you go to a different country where no one knows your problems and no one knows the problems you came from. And I realized how insignificant they were. And it became like a, it became such a, I think you could look at it as a negative thing being like, when all the shit I do really doesn't matter. But for me, it became a, an incredibly empowering thing because it was like, we're all going to die. So I might as well enjoy these laps I get around the sun, right? Like I, like I completely changed the way I looked at it. And then when I got the chance to come back and visit you guys in 2018 for those days, and I remember like being like, 
I remember using the excuse to some of my teams being like, look, I'm not literally in the opposite time zone. Like you can email me, but I'm not really going to be checked. I'll check my email for the emergency things, but I'm not really doing it. And I remember not needing to because I had an awesome team around me that was like, no, you go do that. You're spending a lot of money to go there. You go do that. And you're not going to check your email. And I remember it took me like six or seven days just to like chill, let go. like just to let go. And then when I did it and then I came back, I was so energized because I was like, I'm doing it for myself and for my family, not because I want to beat Bob, who lives across the street. You know, it's just a different perspective. So, like, those were, I mean, obviously, I was in Australia during an incredibly formative time, being a 22-year-old. But uh, it had an incredibly lasting impact on the way I view my own career, honestly. That's a beautiful reflection, Mark. And, you know, there's probably three words that I'll that come to mind and one is like I was uh, facilitating at a food, wine and tourism conference on uh, earlier in the week and that must have been that food, must have been a really boring group of people <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. and I was on dry February what the hell <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, but it was around the key word and we've been using it in this leadership program I run but even nationally Australia is so small mm. and then you when you you think in terms of a trading nation and being able to compete. For us to be able to compete on a global scale, when you think the country's small and then therefore a lot of our businesses are small against competitive business on a global scale, the only way we can succeed is collaboration. Mm. And even in this tourism conference, they're saying every tourist operator, every winery, every food service has to see all the others as their collaborators. And by all of us doing this stuff, we create this region that people come to and we can put together package deals for people to appreciate. So collaboration mm. is a key. My whole life, I've, only, I've tried to collaborate. So even with that lacrosse example that you spoke about, if all I did was recruit for our club and help our club get stronger, then we might be the only club in town and we've got no one to play against. Right. So we need the whole community to thrive for lacrosse and we need the country to thrive so mm. you know one of the things that came out of the program the other day was around learning how to make the the pie bigger and even if you've only got a small share of a much bigger pie it's better than a small share of a very small pie mm. and so collaboration is one word but from a personal perspective and again it's taken me a long time to work it out that two of my core values about life and you said you only get this one shot on the planet. Well, if you just if you truly believe that, then why not party the whole time mm. and just have a great time? But most of us actually want to get to the end of the journey and look back. And for me, if I you know start with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey said, and yes. think when I get to the end of the journey and look back, what are the two most important things that are going to be there for me? And one is definitely the relationships I had, Mm -hmm. the family, the love and connection, the beautiful people that I've made friends with around the planet, and how do they perceive me? Right. So how those people remember me, and I'll come back to that in a second. And the other one is service, around what is your legacy? How did you serve and what did that leave as a legacy? So uh, a really... Um, controversial comment I'll make on your um, little chat here today is around um, the concept of, you know, Easter and Jesus dying. Yeah. So 
I say to people, even if you're not a religious person, I'm not a strongly religious person, but there's this concept that, you know, he rose from the dead. And I remember hearing this priest talk on radio one time, and he was saying a lot of the stories in the Bible are metaphoric and to help people get lessons. It's just over time people have started taking them literally. And he said his feeling around Easter was maybe what happened was when Jesus did die, and there was obviously a dude called Jesus on the planet. Right. We've got our calendar linked to his birthday and stuff. <laughs> um, so the guy was here, but man, he's left a legacy and had an impact. Mm. And, you know, he lived his life trying to serve. But when he died, you know, they said, you know, he died on that on Good Friday. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. He said he believes what happened was his disciples were in mourning. And on the third day, they realized that he might have been physically dead, but he arose because they realized everything he had taught them was still with them. And mm. while they spread his message, he was alive and he's in each of us because we keep passing that story on. It's just as a Catholic, Mark, we got taught that literally he's in us. Right. And right. Literally he rose from the dead and literally. and But that's okay. And that, maybe that did happen. I'm not going to question that but from a metaphoric perspective that's a powerful concept for each of us to go well you know my memory will be alive why people remember what I did and what is it that I want to do so they remember me and that comes back to that whole purpose driven life and probably three other words to play with love playing with words one is the word work and we're talking about work in relation to career and I'll say what is the word work what is the word retirement and what's the word employment? And I'll say to people, let's park retirement for a second and look at the difference between work and employment. And employment is something that a piece of work that we go and do where we get financial reward to fund the rest of our life. Mm. And so people talk about unemployment and I'm unemployed. I need to get a job. And that means I need to get someone to give me money to do a piece of work. So today my lovely wife, she did some barista training I, before. She's made me an awesome coffee. But I could have actually bought that coffee at a shop down the road. Right. And someone would have kissed their partner goodbye and said, see you, honey, I'm off to work. Mm. And they turned up to work to make coffee for the day. Well, mm. that's their employment. And I said, every day there's pieces of work. And instead, Janice did that piece of work, but I could have done that work myself. So every day there's work that we have to do to live whether it's mow your lawns or cook the kids their dinner. But there's also work we do to feed our soul. Mm. And, you know, because I could retire and spend the rest of my life mowing the lawns and keeping the garden looking good, but would I feel as I'm making a contribution to our community and leaving a legacy? And that's where that purpose-driven concept, and I think I'm lucky enough it took me till I was almost 30 to work out why am I here on the planet? And I've spent the last 25 years actually being on purpose and feeling that I don't need to retire. So if I think about the word retirement, retirements in theory should be when you no longer need employment because you're financially um, independent and you don't need employment anymore. So retirement should be the time in your life where you get to choose to do work that you love doing because you really want to do it. Mm. The real magic for anyone that you're working with that's on the career path is early in your career, find work that you're really passionate about and you love, 
that if you had so much money you didn't need employment, you'd still do that work. Mm. And that's why I was so grateful that I got that gift um, back before I turned 30. Yeah, that's uh, I I uh, for, thank you for breaking it down like that. That's cool. I mean, that's a good, that's a great nugget for anyone at any point. I think in their uh, in their life, it's funny when you were talking about that. My parents are recently retired now, um, and uh, and loving it. And my dad's still in the honeymoon phase of retirement, just not working for employment. Right? He's just not doing the employment thing. But my mom has been for a few years now. And it's been interesting to see how much how much she's added to her plate, like to the point where she's busy all the time feeding her soul. I think I steal that word from you, that phrase from you, like volunteering here, working here just to um, give back and stay engaged, I think, with the local community, too. And I think uh, I think when we're I think when we're employed, there are moments along the way when our soul gets fed. And I think you got to be aware of those and, and like do the self audit. Cause I think a lot of your journey, what you've talked about is self reflection. Like you've done the work. It's not easy work to be like, what is my purpose? What am I going to get out of this? What do I like about this? How am I going to, you know, the employment retirement work conversation plus your whole purpose that that's, you can, I guess that was why I said you only have so many laps around the sun. Cause I, I'm with you. You could party the whole time. But for me, it's like, We've done it, Charles. We've been on parties for days together. I mean, but after a while, it's like, this is boring. Like, I love hanging out with my mates, and I love doing this, and it's fun to to um, to do things I might not normally do. But in reality, it doesn't feed my soul in the same way that uh, those other things do. So I think you got to be – what I'm hearing from you is be aware of those moments and, and, like, and listen to them so you can keep adjusting your path along the way. Yeah, and even the word that Eva was exploring was what does success mean? Mm. A lot of the time we get success imposed upon us about, you know, and even with your two young boys, Mark, you're going to be wanting them to have a happy life. So as a parent, you think, if I can just get them through college and they can get a good job and then they can find a partner and get a house and settle down and have kids, I'll I've done my job. That's fine. So we say to our kids, success is getting married, having children, and settling down with a house and a job. Like, well, actually, if you ever question, what is success to you? Mm. And it shouldn't be about being the richest man in the cemetery. It still comes back to those two words for me around, you know, what is your legacy and how were the quality of the relationships that were important to you? And if you, When you die, everyone has a party because you died. Mm. That's not a success, you know. You want people to kind of uh, be really honour your life and be sad that you've gone because of who you were to them mm. and what you did for the community. And um, people that get caught up on the, the money train or the treadmill of you know trying to acquire assets and wealth as a mm. form of success can have a big house but be very lonely at the end of it. So I just think that I think it was the Dalai Lama when he gets asked what is the purpose of life, he says it's happiness. Mm. It's not like the party that you and I are happy having because he said that alone is not it, but happiness around all the dimensions of your life. So mm -hmm. doing those audits every now and then are really valuable, but for a lot of people it can be depressing because 
if they stop and look in the mirror and think about how they're tracking with that and realize they're off track and they have no idea how to get back on, um, that can be really demoralizing. And that's where the role of a good coach comes into play. So even for a lot of those execs I work with and do one-on-one coaching, when I'm talking to them, we're not just talking about the balance sheet or the KPIs of the business. I talk to them about you know, how their health and well-being is, how's their mental health, how are they tracking spiritually. And so when I use the word spiritual, it's very much around that purpose-driven concept, not about religion. You know, but how are they going with their relationships? Do, do they have a life in the community? Do they have a social life? All work and no play makes Mark a very dull boy. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> well, I, I love when I, had, I was fortunate enough to get some pro bono mentoring from Charles for years. And I mean, ultimately still do really, but like we had a kind of rhythm for a while. And I remember, um, used to always start the session by just giving like spirituality, relationships, community, work out of 10, family, right? Like I was all rating out of 10 just to take a gauge of where you're at. And I, um, and I remember the first time we did it and you asked me the community question and I think I gave myself like a zero or a one. And I remember being so upset, like fuck. You know, like, I, like I was raised, I went to Catholic school my whole life. Not, I'm not like the most religious person, but I love the moral value concept. It's funny. You and I have probably never talked about religion before. It's come up like three times in the podcast, but whatever. But I, but I really, I almost felt this guiltiness or this Catholic guilt probably of not really serving my community. And your response was like, that's cool, Mark. You shouldn't beat yourself up over that. It's not, ne- not everything can happen all the time. And you gotta you, like the blended model. You got to understand what your priority, priorities are and work that back. And I, and since since um, you and I have talked last, I started using this planner, like my diary or my journal every day, uh, my schedule. And every quarter or every month, you have to fill out how am I doing relationship wise spiritually. And like that audit is so healthy, but I don't use it now to beat myself up. I just use it to take stock of where I'm at. And uh, I feel like that's you super healthy. Yeah, the blend, but but I think what you've done really cool, and what I what I love about your Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday thing, like when you told me that, I was like, all right, like, what is he doing at this thing? And you told me it was a workout, and I'm getting all freaked out that I'm gonna be dying and gassing at this thing. And it was it was a good little, we got a good swimming and a good workout. But I think what was the most cool thing about it was after we went swimming and did our thing, we just hung around and got a coffee and spent an hour, and you without making it feel like it was a meeting to meet, you were people's, um, like, I think friend in the, in the best sense of the word. Like, no, I don't like want to just hear how your kids are doing to hear how they're doing, but like, where are you, where is their darkness and how can I fill in that void for you and lift you up? And I think like, for me, it helped me, like even you talking about that's the importance of a coach from the business sense i think you need them personally too like who are you doing this with and i'm not talking about your significant other like i know for you janice keeps you on track for a lot of things and for me tina certainly does but like you need other people in your life who can do audits that aren't in your life because it's a really healthy perspective and you've offered that for me so you know people are always like find a mentor and i'm like ah that's Yes, you should find a mentor, but you should really just try to find friends and they'll become your mentors over time is kind of how I view that to progress. You find good people. The last word for it is a, a confidant. 
because sometimes mm. you just want to vent. You want yes. to get stuff off your chest with someone that will listen to you, won't judge you, but yes. then will encourage you to problem solve and and get it back on track. And that's definitely what those group of men do. And, you know, I do that executive coaching and that's part of my income stream. So I've been able to make all these things my income stream. Mm. But I, I do a lot of it for free too. So um, with our professional football here, which uh, you know is AFL, yes, I work footy. with the, the, the AFL Academy with the footy players and get to work with the young 18-year-old under 18-year-old footballers, and my role was to teach them to be good men and be good leaders. Mm. And uh, I love doing that, and I do it virtually for nothing. Mm. And and in our community, a lot of people go, um, would you mind having a catch-up with my son or my daughter? Or they go, have you got time for coffee? And yeah, and even with those walks on the beach, sometimes you end up just chatting with one person and they just need that ear, but there's times I need it too. Yes, yes, we are 100%. And there's definitely in that group, there's some men in the group that, um, you know, play that role for me and mm. I'll play it for them. And it's just at different times, you just, you need that go-to person. And Janice is definitely my best friend in the world and has been a wonderful coach and confident, but there's times I need to talk to somebody else other than just Janice. And that's that key about having a few other people and, not feeling as though, because to me, I say to people, the difference between a coach and a mentor, a mentor is climb the mountain you want to climb. Mm. They might not be a very good coach. So your right. job is to go and pick their brain about why did you take that route and what did it feel like? And and when you had all had to deal with those problems, how did it make you feel and how did you get through it? Whereas a coach, and, and you guys had an amazing coach at St. Michael's, mm-hmm. you know, that and he left a great legacy. There was a man that left legacy. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Paul he, um, And what he did as a coach, and all good coaches, is they organize the people that they're coaching to get them on track, be clear about what they've got to do and what success looks like, and give them pathways to get there. Whereas a mentor might not think about any of that. You're just going, hey, what? how did you do that? What was that like? And the person could be a raging introvert and you've got to do all the work to draw it out of them. Mm. Whereas a coach might not have ever had success in the thing you're trying to do, but boy, they're good at listening to you, challenging you, pushing you and making you get organized. Mm. So to me, it's about, yeah, by all means, find a mentor that's kind of got to where you want to get to. But I think to have one or two friends that you trust and can be vulnerable with, because, you know, so often people go, so how are you going, Mark? And you go, yeah, good, how are you? And we don't really answer. We don't ask a probing question like, what's good mean, Mark? Or, so how are things with you and Tina? And are you still happy at work? What's your relationship like with your sons? Is, mm. is it a bit easier with one than the other? And what do you need to do to bring the other son up to that same level? Mm. You know, people just get caught up in not being present. There's one of the challenges as a parent, realising, you know, particularly when you've got two kids, always both the same age, it's really easy to go and do everything with both of them. Mm. But it's really important every month, at least every month, to have one-on-one time with each of them. Yes. And they can just talk to you as dads, and you'll see a different version of them because their sibling's not there. But a lot of time for convenience, we just bundle it all up together. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, it's actually something. You, it's something that you uh, made me aware of. I think before I had my second kid, just the planning of of that going on, and, and it's been a. It's, you know, it's been a real silver lining of the pandemic as a parent of young boys. Like, it's like business was slow for us last year around this time. Everything kind of grinded to a halt, right? Last March and April. And then we had some things that picked up and we got back to more business as normal. But I remember telling my wife, being like, this is pretty awesome. Like, I eat breakfast with my kids. I eat lunch with my kids. I eat dinner with my kids. And I we hang out. And it's like. I knew them on a different level than I ever did before. And it was, um, it was a, its own kind of self audit of like, man, this could have just passed me by and I could have woke up and they were 18 years old, you know, and, and missed that all. So it was, I'm with you. That's, uh, that's really good advice. I think for people. One of, one of our clients is the big French wine merchant, Pernod Ricard. And mm-hmm. uh, we run their leadership training here in Australia and New Zealand. And one of their values is conviviality. I didn't even know what that word was before, but it's about, you know, just those relationships. But for a number of years, they were pushing me to go, hey, because I'd fly into the Blue Mountains over near Sydney. Mm-hmm. And people would fly in from all over New Zealand and Australia to come in for this residential leadership program. And they'd go, can't you do this virtually? And we cut out all this travel. And I'd go, no, impossible. You know, you just don't get the same interactions and, no, I'm not going to do it. And so mm. they go, okay, well, we love what you do, so let's keep doing it. In the middle of last year, we're in the middle of COVID. They go, so do you think you can run this program virtually? Yeah, sure, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, in uh, two months' time, we kick off what used to be like a, a, a what I call a sheep dip. And one of the things that most Americans aren't familiar with sheep farming yes. is they're kind of – get rid of the pests off of their, out of their wool and everything, they run them through this bath, which is basically uh, a fenced area that the sheep have got to go through a pool of chemical to uh, keep them healthy. Um, so we say the sheep dip is you just doesn't matter if the sheep's sick or not. Everyone's going in there. So I refer to some training as sheep dip training, mm-hmm. where you just make people go and you immerse them, and then hopefully when they go back, they'll be okay. And um, but because we're going to run it virtually, rather than setting them off on this one sheet dip, we're going to have this six-month-long modulated program mm. with people zooming in from New Zealand and Australia and having time to go back and practice stuff and integrate it and then come back again. And if we had to do that with people traveling, the program would have been just um, mind-blowingly too expensive. Yes. And now we're going to do it. And so mm. I think that, there's so many silver linings, but the one around us adopting the technology so that we can be home to take our kids to school and still make it to a nine o'clock meeting. Right. Because it's just um, back at your house where you're five minutes away from the kids' school. It's a great thing, Mike. It is. It is. It's, it's a, uh, I'm very, I feel very blessed to have it happened with my kids at such a young age. You know, I think that was a, uh, I got so lucky with that. So, no, I think you're right. There's a lot of silver linings of of the COVID, you know, that we're going to have to take out of this. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it all transpires, you know. Because we didn't have that wave, but we had lockdowns when it first started. Um, you guys are about to come out where we've already been, which is mm-hmm. I was watching some of my big clients where everyone was working from home. And 
when the restrictions were lifted, some companies, people were loving it like you are, companies said, right, everyone back to work. And they said, but can't, you know, we've just, we've been successful with achieving all their outcomes and I'm doing three days a week. I want to do three days a week from home and two in the office or vice versa. And they go, no, no, no exceptions, everyone back to work. And then I saw a couple of other big companies where they go, hey, everyone, we've had to deal with this and we've managed it well. So why don't you and your supervisor have a conversation? Mm. And if your supervisor feels you need to come back, you probably need to come back. But if the two of you are happy to keep rolling and you can achieve your outcomes, we're going to leave it up to you and your supervisor. Mm. And I can tell you which one gets better employee engagement survey results. And it's actually getting better bottom line results too because mm. they've allowed people to self-manage how they um, adopt a lot of those silver linings as the new normal. Mm. It's it's ironic um, that that we're out of the office, but I've got some teams right now um, that have phenomenal leaders that are doing a great job and, and their cultures are some of the strongest they've been in years. And uh, I know, I know for us, it's going to be, you know, choose your option kind of thing. Like I know, I know we're trending in that direction because we've even hired people who aren't in commutable distance to our offices since the pandemic. We've been, we've gone full on board with it. So it's, um, I, I know myself, I'm going to need to do two or three days in the office or I'll be spackling walls and painting uh, things and organizing my garage because of how my brain works. But, you know, I, you'll I just start know doing, myself. You'll start home brewing, Mark. I know that. <laughs> it's so, so dangerous. Well, um, yeah. So you don't even have to go down to the buy, you know, a six-pack of beer. You'll go, I'll just home brew. Exactly. I just yeah, one, of the, one of the things I say to a lot of the leaders, the real challenge is a lot of leaders up front were going, how am I going to be able to supervise my staff and I won't know whether they're slacking off and making home brew or, you know, painting the, the second bedroom. Mm. You know, I said, well, if that's what your mentality is as a leader, you're the problem. Exactly. So the key thing that you need to measure is are they achieving the outcomes you want? And have the two of you sat down and had the conversation around what are the expected outcomes? And if that person, you know, because one of the leaders was complaining that the person – was off in the middle of the day with their kids, doing stuff with their kids. And I said, but is that person doing work for you at 11 o'clock at night? They go, well, I don't know. I said, you do know. Have you seen any emails that come from them 11 o'clock at night? Well, yeah, actually they have. I said, so if they're choosing to break their day up and work from 9 to 11 at night, maybe get up and do a, a 5 to 6.30 shift, and then and the kids, if they're broken it up, they're achieving everything you want, who cares what time they go to the toilet? You know, and that's where some managers want to manage people's toilet breaks. You know, you're not a manager leader. You know, you're a supervisor, old school. Yeah, it's um, you're, you're, it's it's so. I think it's going to be a competitive advantage for us because I think we've got we're going to take the result. We've already taken the approach. I've actually used it as being in the recruiting industry. I recruit for my own teams, right and. Uh, I had a call this week and she was telling me about her office. This woman was, I have to be in every day. And she's the only person in the office and I have to be in every day. And she's like, what's it like at your office? And I was like, well, we hire people, we hire adults and then we treat them like adults. It's like, you, just, you know what you got to do, get it done and do it on your time. So um, I'm with you, man. I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. 
I'm just sliding because over here on the wall, over in that back corner, I think you can see it. It yeah. says PHC. That's the uh, parent adult child model. Mm. It talks about supervision about are you having an adult to adult relationship or is it a parent to child relationship? Mm. When you get two people that are um, battling with each other at work and they're behaving like children, we talk about oh, those two, they're just behaving like two naughty children. And that's the child to child. But I love there's also that. times when you want to have um, childlike relationships. And that's that sense of play when really good teams take times where they get childish yes. and they talk childlike and play together. And that's a good sign too. But it's when people are going, well, you go and tell him, I'm not going to do that. And he can, and, and then you go and speak to that person. They go, well, you can go back and tell her. And mm. you're thinking, what am I, your parent? And your two kids that toxic, are arguing? Toxic yeah. cultures. Hey, Mark, I'm going to have to go because I've got a, another phone meeting in about five minutes. No, this is Charles. I Unfortunately, I needed a way to end it because we could talk. You and I could probably yeah. talk for 10 hours. Uh, yeah. I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, you're, you're, you're an amazing dude. And I think uh, we'll, we'll have you back on to discuss some more topics in the future. Thanks so much. Love you, Mark. Beautiful chatting with you. Beautiful.